Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. Okay, Brandon, there's a new AI bot in town, Jet Chat GPT. Maybe you've heard of it, and maybe artificial intelligence is not your thing. However, you'd better be paying attention before we get to the article, Brandon. Let me do some due diligence about what Chat GPT is. I think this is fascinating. It's an AI tool from a power player in the artificial intelligence world called OpenAI that lets you type in questions using natural language to which the chatbot gives you conversational, somewhat stilted answers. But the bot remembers the thread of your dialogue using previous questions and answers to inform its next responses. Its answers are derived from huge volumes of information that's gathered on the internet. So for example, you can ask it encyclopedia questions like explaining Newton's laws of motion. You could tell it, write me a poem. And when it does, now you can say, make it more exciting. You can ask it to write a computer program that'll show you all the different ways you can arrange the letters of a word. It's basically like Google on steroids, which brings us to this article in The Guardian. What's the point of a personal statement when ChatGPT can say it so much better? Tim Adams from The Atlantic brings us this article, and you bring us the Wokamagameter. It says he grew up in Birmingham, but it doesn't. I think he grew up in Birmingham, England, and I, I feel like any journo in England is going to be fairly woke. But his stuff seems pretty even-handed, so I'm going to go, you know, right on a five, a dead five, not not high, not low, just kind of right in the middle. Wokamagameter equally. All right. So the bottom line is, when we used to go to college in the old days, Brandon, you have to used to write like a life statement about your life to get into said college. Now you don't have to do that anymore because you can basically go to this chat bot and it'll write it for you. For instance, you can even like have it do your homework. You'd be like, write me an Abraham Lincoln essay and this chat bot will do that for you. So it's a brand new world of where we're headed. You want, I mean, you get this theory. You're an intelligent person about chat GPT. My mom wouldn't understand it. My wife doesn't understand it. I'm sure you get it. Well, full disclosure, Larry, I am actually an AI construct. <laughs> I, I've been working with you for years, but I'm actually not even a human. I was the that first prototype so of, chat G, of chat GPT. And so I am the full revelation of the power of AI. So, you know, all these conversations we've had have just literally been things that I have pulled from your questions <laughs> over the years, and I feed them back to you. Now, chat GPT, is, it's not just a little thing. It's probably one of the most exciting and powerful tools to come out since the introduction of the interwebs. Now, I don't say that loosely. They've been working on AI for a long, long time. I mean, AI has been around, I mean, good Lord, since, you know, Kubrick and hello, hello, no, Hal. No. Right? I saw War Games. I saw War Games. Yeah, but Brandon, even I... before War, War Games was, was 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? Yeah. AI has been around. Yeah. The idea of AI has been around. There have been novels written, Neuromancer, uh, written all about AI. and, Robins, and Robots coming to life. Yeah, and in a sense of being able to think. And so if you just sort of step back a little bit and you say, and don't pull the old, well, that can't possibly work. It can. It can work. And not only can it work, it does work. But now what we've what, the problem has always been sort of like it was you could kind of figure out the algorithm and so you could kind of game the system so that it could only go so far. And you could if you kind of had an eye to it, you could figure out 
is this a chatbot? Is this AI or not? And we can only answer so many questions. What makes chat GPT so powerful is that it learns from you. That's always been the thing. It's like, can a chatbot organically learn? So in a sense, it says, oh, I made this mistake. Can it correct that mistake? People still argue about it. I just had some conversation with some tech friends of mine who were like, oh man, you know, AI, it still has blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have the sentience of, and I'm like, well, Okay, but what's the difference between you learning from a mistake and it learning from a mistake? So ultimately, they're saying, well, it can't think for itself. I'm like, but what is thinking for yourself? Okay, so so basically, like if you went, once again, to the Googles and searched Abraham Lincoln, you're going to get a bunch of sources for Abraham Lincoln. This chat GPT goes to the next level, and you could say, write me an essay on Abraham Lincoln's childhood, focusing on the ages from 13 to whatever. And it will write the essay for you, something Google can't do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Google is a mechanical construct. I mean, it's literally an algorithm written to search whatever's out there, but it doesn't learn from whatever's out there. Exactly. This is actually learning from it, saying, oh, okay. Learning, when you say it, it's learning from everything that's out there on the internet. It's searched and knows it. And not only is it learning from everything on the internet, it's also learning from you. So it's learning your cadence, the way you speak, the way you write. All those things. And so it's it's ironic that, you know, for years and years and years, I, as you know, I was a, uh, before I was an artificial construct, I was a classroom teacher. And so you always And have, before you sold encyclopedias, right, you were a teacher. You've always had to worry about plagiarism, always. Kids yes. turn to the paper, you're like, did they copy it from somewhere? But are you all, good at would you were you good at capturing plagiarism? Students would write it. I, from yeah, the, I mean, you know, I mean, when you teach middle school and high school, you kind of sense like, okay, dude, you, there's no way you wrote this. And then you could do some, re- <laughs> there were some, I think, I can't remember the name of the, uh, we used to use this check it and some different um, software that you would be able to check, put in what they wrote. And it would basically, what it would do is it would call all the information available on the internet and say, oh, clearly they took this from somewhere. Because when people were stealing this, they were stealing someone else's work. Yeah. What makes chat GPT so different is that chat GPT isn't stealing from someone else's work. It's not copying from someone. It's taking ideas and it's making new ideas. So in a sense, it's almost impossible to catch that classic plagiarism. But a student, I can't remember where, maybe it's a MIT student. He created an app that can actually check and see if something was written with chat GPT. Like, I don't know how he did it, but no, but he can. He, He can figure out if it was plagiarized by chat GPT. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the science and the math behind it, but this kid did. Okay, so here's the deal about like the use of this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that the learning system in the United States is sort of antiquated, right? We don't need to memorize information anymore because all like we, I used to have to memorize like history in school, which is now redundant because all the information is at your tip of your phone. Students don't need to memorize information anymore. Yes. I mean, memory is a funny thing, obviously. I mean, when, when the printing press was introduced, one of the biggest arguments people had at the time, I and mean, it's well-documented, they were like, people aren't going to be able to remember it because memory was everything. When, when you didn't have the written word to be able to go back to and check something, you had to memorize it. So people's memories were actually better because they actually had to use their memories. And the argument is, oh, man, if we don't use our memories, blah, blah, blah. What about people that have memory issues? Now, the great thing about this is they can go and say, ah, what was the name of that person? They can g- get something they remember about it, and the name will come up to them. That's powerful. Well, so, But my point is, so we got to go from, le- you don't need to memorize things anymore because everything's on the internet. And the next phase is, 
you don't need to learn how to even write an essay because they'll, this computer will do it for you. So then what so do the you need to do? That's my point is like, how are we teaching students of this age to use the technology so that they're not obsolete? You don't need to memorize anymore. And now you don't even need to write an essay anymore. So how are we teaching them? I guess the bigger question is what's the, what are we, tr what's the purpose of what we're doing? The whole reason you had kids write papers is because you wanted to see them express their ideas. Yeah. So, so ultimately you had, you know, you say you signed this topic, they went and did some research on it and they wrote a paper. Well, how we answer that question is we have them do it in real time with us. And that's well, going to require a different kind of analytics. That's going to require a different form of assessment. I'm not telling you anything you don't know because before you sold encyclopedias, you were a teacher, but you're essentially teaching kids how to learn, not anything specific. Hopefully they're learning how to learn. So that's the whole point. Like how do we absorb this new technology that writes essays right. for us and teach them to use that as we go forward in the future? Yeah, dude, I could tell you right now, still to this day, there are old teachers that are like, we need to teach these kids how to use of cursive. Course. And I'm of like, course. no, we don't. They don't use yeah. cursive. We need to teach them how to keyboard or text with their thumbs. That's what we need to teach them. <laughs> Right. I mean, seriously, I mean, our no, no. kids are digital natives and we're digital immigrants. And eventually when we die, our generation dies, they'll all be digital natives. So some of this stuff is just going to take care of itself. The greater question about chat GBT, why is what you're poking at, what you're pushing into is that a number one, what is important to learn in a new paradigm? And, and once we've determined what is important to learn, how do we teach that? And I think it frustrates people because like, wait, we came up with this, all this awesome stuff and they just need to do it. I'm like, well, yeah, we used to have people memorize. I have a buddy that they send their kid to a classical school. And what that means is you memorize everything. And he's convinced yeah. like, yeah, man, you got to, you know, they're not going to know it. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? We're putting people in freaking outer space. They don't need to memorize how to do that. They need to know how to access the tools just like anything else. But it, I think it's hard for people, especially with the way technology, there was this, there's this term in psychology called cultural lag, where it, typically when you have an introduction to any new technology, it takes seven years for the greater society to sort of adopt that technology to where people like, to where your mom can text, right? Takes about on average seven years. Well, we're getting new technologies that are coming out every 10 minutes. So yeah. how are we, so in a sense, what we need to do is teach them how to escape cultural lag and say, all right, you're going to need to learn to adapt and be, so flexibility and adaptability are going to be huge, not memorization, uh, critical thinking skills. Like, wait a second, do I trust what I'm being told? That's not going away. I think that's, that's the key, right? Critical thinking, like, you know, cause bloop, um, what are they, the video fakes? What are the, what do they call that? Deep fakes, deep fakes, you know, where they're editing video in. Yeah. It's not really real. Like, how are we going to teach our young people to differentiate what is real and what is true? Because that is what's going to be important more than the information of where it's stored. Well, and, and you've seen an active ongoing campaign to distort the truth, right? We saw that yes. with Giuliani and these people like, the truth is not the truth. They're like, well, well, yes, it is. One plus one equals two. Well, no, it doesn't. Not to me. Well, so then we got to actually have some ethical conversations around what being truthful is. And so I think that I wonder if not teaching ethics and teaching sort of those old school ethical conversations are probably more important now than ever before. We just sort of stopped teaching them because we're like, well, we don't need to teach people to be truthful because they understand that. Well, maybe they don't because we have this way of faking things and maybe it's not 
you have the power to do it. It's the same thing with like the power. You have the power to blow up the world, but should you? You have the power to pollute, but should you? So these are ethical conversations that have to take place and be pushed forward. Yeah. All of the information is now there and present to everybody at all times on your phone. I like your idea. We got to go back and teach people how to think in the big picture because the little picture is all there for us. Yeah, it's all laid out and thing. All right. Well, Larry, thank you for teaching us once again. 